1: I had been running away from my strength all along, and that was kind of like my unique cultural identity. And that's how I, I started to find my voice in the room.
0: This is How To LA, and I'm your host, Brian De Los Santos. We're back with another segment of How I Got Started, where we highlight Angelinos in different fields, the arts, entertainment, culture, and advocacy, who are shaking up the city and doing cool things you should really know about. These folks, whether they're homegrown or newer to the city, are people who want to make LA better. I first heard about Rafael Agustin years ago on Latino Twitter, you know, when Twitter was a thing. But the thing that stuck out to me was that he was vocal about his experience as a formerly undocumented person. And he was this Latino writer in Hollywood working on a hit series, Jane the Virgin. I'm not an expert about the Hollywood world, but it was probably the first time I heard someone sharing their unique experience about growing up undocumented in this country, particularly an Ecuadorian in L.A., navigating the entertainment industry. We later became mutuals on social, and I learned that Rafael doesn't just write for TV. His memoir, Illegally Yours, came out earlier this year. It touches on his immigration status, family life, and asks what being American is about. He's majorly involved with the Youth Cinema Project, which works to bring underserved communities into the film and TV worlds. Before we dive in, I want to note that we actually spoke with Rafael at the beginning of May, on the cusp of the writer's strike. He broke down some of the issues writers are striking for in episode 97. You can check that out anywhere you get your podcasts. Rafael wears many hats and does so much in this city. I was curious what his special place in LA was, so I asked him to take us there for this interview.
1: You, when did you knock? Like, a minute ago. Hello. Oh, oh my God! God. Hello. I did not hear you? you, you're the most gentler knocker in the world. No. <laughs> my mom was like rushing off to her Pilates class. Yeah, she told us, like, I'm going to class, I'm like. I'm class. <laughs> so we went to his mother's house. My name is Rafael Agustin, I'm a TV writer, book author, and CEO of the Latino Film Institute. And we're here at my mom's house because I have a generational trauma that I'm still trying to overcome.
0: (laughs) and That's where I'm currently living. Let's pull on that thread a little bit more. Tell me uh,
1: why it means so much to be here in this space with family and in this beautiful home. Oh my God, okay. Look, I'm not gonna take you that far back, but let me just explain that during the pandemic, when kind of Hollywood closed its doors for several months, like nine months before people started taking pitches again, um, I decided to write a, a book based on my life about growing up undocumented in Southern California. Um, and I, I sold it as like the perfect all-American family that just happens not to have papers. And then when I got the book deal, I was so excited to write it. And at, at that exact time was when my parents got a divorce. So all of this to say that I, I wrote the book, I got this advance, and I had my my tv money saved up and i knew i had to help my mom in her healing process so she was living in ecuador south america at the time and i said no no you're coming back to california you're gonna start your life over again and i'm gonna buy your house so this is the house i bought her and i was paying my overpriced rent in silver lake and this house and altadena the mortgage here at the same time so i was like what if i just rent a room for you for a bit before before i get my own place so that's currently where i find myself But the funny thing is that my mom didn't tell me she was bringing my abuelita so now it's like my mom my grandma and i living in a bad episode of like the golden girls every day
0: let's talk about being undocumented for a bit um you know i have daca so i understand that experience in some way but i also kind of want someone to hear when they're listening to this episode it's like there's all sorts of being undocumented so tell me a bit more about you know being an immigrant growing up as an immigrant.
1: Um, be undocumented and then make your way towards UCLA. I have to go all the way back to high school really to think about, because I grew up oblivious and my parents didn't tell me the truth of our immigration status. Like I literally dyed my hair blonde and thought I looked like Zach Morris on Saved by the Bell. You know, uh, I was like the prom king and the class president, top 10% of my class. And then I discovered I'm undocumented. Then like my all American life came crashing down on me. Um, right when i'm trying to get a driver's license right when i'm trying to get my workers permit right when i'm applying to go to college and that's how i ended up in community college and thank god for the california community college system which is so good because i was lost i couldn't afford anything except what i can pay for out of pocket i decided to just stick it out in community college taking every single class i could because i didn't know how long i was going to be in this country i didn't know how long my immigration problems are going to last um, and I went down alphabetically in the course catalog, A for anthropology, B for biology, C for chemistry, until I got to like T for theater when I started to like, oh, this is interesting. I had, you know, I come from a long line of doctors and lawyers. I never thought arts was the thing for me, but that's kind of where I started finding my, my self-esteem and like my self-worth and uh, performing and writing. I also took a speech class and I'm like, oh, I can write speeches. Well, I want to write a speech about like our broken immigration system. And then that won a few awards. So That's when I started finding my voice. It was in community college doing speech and debate and doing theater. And I eventually, I actually got my green card and my acceptance to UCLA on the same day. It was so like telenovela dramatic. Like we were crying, holding each other. I have a chapter in the book called How to Disappoint Your Immigrant Parents Without Trying. Because... I can tell you that when I told my parents that oh, I want to do theater, they were like, oh, my God, we sacrificed everything for you. And this is what you want to do. Uh, jokes on them because I bought their house. UCLA was interesting because by then I have my, I'm not a citizen. I have my green card. i finding myself in the art space and the theater world. But there's that's when like the lack of representation hits me. While at UCLA, I was like, if this is going to be my career, I don't want to do this. Like, this is, it's too hard in an institution of higher learning. How's it going to be in Hollywood?
0: We'll be back with Rafael and his intro to Hollywood right after this. And we're back with TV writer Rafael Agustín.
1: So I go to UCLA with the idea that oh my god I'm gonna like be in all these plays by like Tennessee Williams and William Shakespeare and Arthur Miller, and I don't get cast in any of that stuff, man. Like I was like, okay, I suck. And um, then there was a production of a, of a play called Short Eyes, which is a prison drama, and I get the lead role. And it was during rehearsals, like me and all the other black and brown uh, students at UCLA, we're like wait a minute. Hold on. We can be in Sing Sing, but we can't be in Victorian England. Okay. This is a problem. And around this time, I turned, believe it or not, back to my community college professors. And I was like, I want to do a show. I want to do a show, um, maybe a one-man show so I can like show my talent. And they were like, one-man shows suck. And they're very boring. What about a three-person one-man show? Because I'm at UCLA with my buddies who are having the same problems that I'm having. We're like besties. Uh, And, you know, we just happened to be Black, Asian, American, and Latino. So we decided to write a show about our lives, uh, about, it. I don't know if I could say the title of the show here, but it's called NWC. And they, they, they represent three big, gigantic derogatory terms, but it's a comedy. So we decided to write about like, oh, what was the first time you heard this word and how this word tried to take place of your cultural identity?
0: Here's two clips of Rafael performing in NWC in the early 2000s. The first one is pulled from his own experience, and the second one is the kind of stereotypical joke you hear growing up Latino in the United States.
1: My father was a surgeon at the busiest hospital in a third world country. And my mother, she was a trained anesthesiologist who could make a shrimp ceviche that hijo de su madre. But then my son said to me, there is no Olympic team in Mexico because all the runners are jumpers and all the swimmers are already in the U.S. Uh, and it resonated with people. And we were students at UCLA when, when the LA Times does this gigantic article on us. So we go from a student show at UCLA to a professional run at the Los Angeles Theater Center, thanks to my mentor at UCLA, José Luis Valenzuela, um, that we were selling out every night. And then we go from that to uh, we sign with this management company to a national tour. And all that, I'm not lying to you, was like three months. It happened so incredibly fast for us. The next thing you know, we're out in the in middle America, touring the nation, which with a show that we thought was simply a comedy. But when you leave l a it's like this huge cultural, political, like social justice and like minority tool. We didn't know how to react to the audiences, but what we found was the majority of Americans are good people they're just so ignorant because of the lack of diversity my favorite story still about all of our touring was when we were in kentucky and after the show again it's comedy after the show there was this kid that was crying in the audience college age student it's during q a he raises his hand and he gets the mic and he's like i just want to tell you i've only cried twice in my life the first time was during titanic and the second time was during the show because as you all performed i related to you and as I'm relating to you, I realize I had never related to a minority in my life. He's like, and I realized that I'm a, I was a racist and I didn't know it. So I'll work on that. We were too young, barely in our early 20s, creating social change around the United States. But we don't want any of that. We just wanted to be rich and famous. So we were like, so like, ugh, this is so boring. And that's kind of like why the show came to an end. I remember when when I would take the stage, it was so heavy on me because I was like, wow, I really want the audience to like me as a performer. Then I really want the audience to like me as a writer because, you know, we wrote the show. And then I want them to love me as a human being because this is my life story.
0: Now, take us back to the Jane the Virgin writers room. How did the transition from theater to Hollywood go?
1: Well, you know, what's funny, actually, NWC started it off because uh, a lot of, uh film and tv studios saw the show and they wanted to develop it into a tv show and again we were so young and as a first gen immigrant people pleaser i was like yes yes whatever you want whatever you want but in tv development and that sausage making machine right there's what the writer wants this is what the producer wants and what the showrunner wants what the studio wants what the network wants and what came out at the end was a show with my name on it that i didn't even like you know so I got a little uh, deflated and depressed. I was like, maybe I'll just stick to theater because at least I have like complete artistic control over that. And then I remembered that when we toured the nation and did all these Q&As and residencies and community like events, people were blown away by my parents' stories. So I always, I always thought to myself, why hasn't anyone made a family comedy about, undoc- about an undocumented family? And that's that's where the original uh, concept for the TV show that eventually became my book came from. And I submitted that to Sundance and that made me a Sundance Institute fellow. And that got me all the notice that got me my agent that got me my first TV sale. Cause I sold it with CBS studios to the CW and ultimately because, and thanks to the great Gina Rodriguez, who is an old friend from the work I used to do in La Leaf, the Los Angeles Latino international film festival. She read it and she was like, I want this to be my first project. As a producer, and we sold it, and then because we sold it, that's how the showrunner for Jane the Virgin, Jenny Snyder Ehrman, heard about me, and she was like, "Okay, I want to meet this young writer." I'm telling her what I want to do, and she's just looking at me like, "You poor bastard, you have no idea what you're talking about." And she, uh, to God bless her heart, she took a chance on me. Then I joined the the writers room, and God, talk about like um, the the biggest imposter syndrome, right? <laughs> You're in this room with these incredible writers who've been writing television for decades. And then you, a brand new first gen, like formerly undocumented. I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do here. And then it took me some time to realize, wait a minute, why am I in this room? No one's gonna be able to pitch a Catholic guilt story like I can. No one's gonna be able to pitch an immigrant or immigration story, a how to deal with like, Homeland security through your undocumented paperwork, right? Your process. No one's going to be able to pitch like Latino cultural relevant stuff. When I started leaning that way, that's when my pitches started making the board. And I was like, oh my God, I'm such an idiot. I had been running away from my strength all along. And that was kind of like my unique cultural identity. And that's how I, I started to find my voice in the room.
0: To really make it in any creative field, there's obviously some luck involved. But from the beginning, Rafael was writing his own stuff and pushing to get attention for it. He advocated for himself, right? It was the play at UCLA, the TV pilot that got him the Sundance Fellowship, and then this book. And at every stage, that classic saying for all creators rang true. Write what you know. So, you're in a writer's room you've done your own uh you know projects you are at la leaf you're
1: like this you know kind of like a multitasker here tell me about all the things you do i always found time to go back and volunteer for the film festival for la leaf and that's because i had when i was still at ucla the late and great lupe Tiveros came into my theater class and said, you all should volunteer for this film festival because this was a Latino community in the Hollywood industry meets. So I I go to La Leaf and just fell in love with it, like just a bunch of like emerging and and aspiring artists trying to make it in the industry from our community. And I've always done it. So I was always a volunteer, then eventually like head of production, whatever. Until during the economic crisis, La Leaf had to close its doors. But we had an educational program that we kept running during La Leaf that was so powerful. La
0: Leaf almost shut down. But Rafael says the founder, Edward James Olmos, insisted
1: on saving the educational program. So then they switched the model. And as opposed to bringing like public school students to the film festival and into Hollywood, we took Hollywood into the classroom. So now that's how the Youth Cinema Project came to be and now we teach and work with jesus like 60 public school students around the state of california we essentially took film graduate school but we started elementary school we started middle school we started in high school and most beautifully we work in like historically marginalized communities where we're creating social emotional empowerment and doubling and tripling reading and writing proficiency so when I was doing all of my Hollywood work, all of my TV writing, the book writing stuff, I always managed to find a way to give back because this work really fulfilled my heart. It kept me balanced, especially in Hollywood where you can be so unbalanced all the time because there's a lot of highs and lows in Hollywood. It's kind of like feast or famine. And you know, one day you're on the red carpet, the next day you're like collecting unemployment looking for your next gig, right? And I gotta admit that my career didn't take off until I started doing this work. I don't know what it is. It was something about as soon as you start giving back, it comes like right back at you. And that's how it worked. At least that's how it played out in my life. Uh, So now I'm the CEO of the Latino Film Institute. And the Film Institute oversees the Youth Cinema Project, which is our educational program in public schools. It oversees La LIFE, the Los Angeles Latino International Film Festival it happens once a year, and it oversees Latinx and animation, which is a program that we do to try to get more animators of color into the animation industry. I learned early on, I was like, it's really hard for us in this business, and I might not be able to make a living just as an actor, just as a writer, just as a producer, but I was able to make a living doing all of it. My parents, who always had like two jobs so they can survive any recession, I've always had two jobs. And I, I hate that about myself and I need to work on my work life balance. Uh, but currently I have three full time jobs, with, without a doubt. I'm the CEO of, of an institute, is one full time job, TV writer is another full time job, and book author is another full time job. So
0: one of my million-dollar questions I like to ask is, is there any wisdom
1: you wish you would have given your younger self? I would tell my younger self not not to fear being vulnerable. Uh, I, was, I grew up in a culture where vulnerability was seen as a weakness. Um, and because of my immigration status, I never wanted to open up and be vulnerable to people. But the minute I flipped that on its head, I realized that I built a community around me and my and my quote unquote status. Uh, I, I allowed other people to come into my life and like cheer me on and help me. And you know, that vulnerability piece, I think is missing in art and writing and leadership and communication. So I would tell my younger self, don't be afraid to be vulnerable.
0: That was Rafael Agustin, TV writer, author, and everything in between. We made a cute TikTok at his mom's casa, so go check that out on our profile at EliestOfficial. Next time on How to LA, we explore the legacy of the late Gloria Molina and how her political and cultural leadership impacted LA. If you like this episode, please be sure to follow, subscribe, and rate. You know, it really helps us out. How I Got Started is a special segment from our podcast. Check out other Angelinos doing cool stuff. Just scroll the feed to find the other episodes or check out our website, elliots.com slash howtoLA. This episode was produced by Victoria Alejandro. Our other producers are Evan Jacoby and Megan Motel. Alrighty, y'all. That's it for today. Catch you tomorrow. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes L.A. a better place to live. The L.A. Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism.